Let's just bow and ask the Lord's blessing on his word as we uh, hear it read and preached this morning. Father, we thank you that you are a God who speaks. You're a God who speaks plainly and a God who also speaks sufficiently in your word and a God who speaks perfectly to us. And so, Lord, we thank you that we don't have to wonder that you, you have left something out. You have misspoken or you haven't uh, spoken clearly or plainly or truthfully. And so, Lord, we thank you that we can come now and hear your word read. We can, we can hold it in our laps and, and read it with our, eye, our own eyes. And so we, we pray that you might come now by your spirit and take the word apply it lord to each one here press it in father to our thoughts uh, bind it we pray to our hearts and and use it we ask to uh, to bring lord new life where perhaps there is only death use it lord to spur us on to to be more faithful lord better husbands better wives better parents, better, better children, better siblings, better brothers in Christ and sisters in Christ. and Faithful, Lord, in all things, we pray. And so we wait upon you to, to do for us what, what we cannot do for ourselves and to do things, Lord, that, that only you are able to accomplish through the word and by your spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. We are in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and, and verse 15. We've been spending some time here uh, in this last portion of Paul's letter uh, to the church there as he is instructing them in some very specific things uh, to be about. And uh, we want to give our focus to verse 15. And we've read it a number of times together in this section, perhaps, but uh, we want to hear what Paul has to say to us now and what the Lord is saying through Paul. Verse 15 reads, See to it that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek that after that which is good for one another and for all people. The gospel is the brings about the most radical change that can ever happen to someone. The gospel does. We love to see people who make changes in their lives for good, right? Those who might, you know, lose a massive amount of weight or uh, those who might have been couch potatoes and now they run marathons uh, or... Those who grew up in poverty, and now they're a millionaire. Or those who were last picked for the team, and now they, they play professional sports. We, we like radical change like that when it's for the good. But, but there's nothing like the change that the gospel comes and brings in the life of a dead sinner. 
one moment, you're dead. The next moment, you are alive. By the power of the Spirit, working through the hearing of the message of Christ crucified for our sins and raised from the dead for us. There is this, in that moment, a flash of life. And in that flash of life, there is this saving faith in Christ that comes. And we are made new. It is truly going from death to life. From utter darkness to light. To from heaven or from hell to heaven. All in the twinkling of an eye. In the hearing of the gospel. In believing of that message. God comes in the gospel and so transforms us that this old nature we have is now radically reversed. Really in a shocking way. In a way that, that can't be explained in any other means besides the new birth. We were once blind. Now we see. We were once dead. Now we are alive. The New Testament makes it plain that uh, before we came to Christ, all of us were like the rest of men. No different. We were hating one another and being hated. It, it was just natural to us to hate and, and, and to seek to, to repay somebody who might do evil toward us. This is the natural re reflex. Just like, uh, I don't know, if you, when you still go to the doctor, they still hit your knee with that little rubber mallet. Do they do that? I haven't had a checkup for a while. They used to, right? They hit your knee and, and your, your leg would kick out automatically. As, as sinners, our nature, as an unbeliever, our nature is when someone does something evil against us, it's just a natural swing to do it against them. And our world is just full of it, full of that kind of thing. People around the world hate each other. Doesn't matter where you go. Doesn't matter the country. It doesn't matter the, the, the culture or the city. People hate each other. And they're, they're always looking for payback to somebody who might do them evil. And they'll do it back. I had a friend in college who used to say, yeah, you should never get even. You should always get ahead. I mean, that, that's just, uh, he was joking, but that's a sinful heart, right? Now, now, as we come to passages like this, we need to remember, though, that the Bible isn't promoting a, a pacifism to us. Uh, 
It's not saying that there should never be any courts or, or law enforcement or just wars or self-defense or we, we should never defend the weak. But what, what is aimed for here is, is we ought not to do evil to someone who's done evil to us. Doing just to someone is not evil. Holding them to justice is not evil. But Paul, Paul here speaking of, of things I think like, you know, someone who might, well, they, they might cheat you out of something and so you just cheat them. Or, or someone who, who might curse you out and you just give it right back. Or, or someone who spreads rumors and lies about us and, well, we, we just lie about them. Or maybe they file a frivolous lawsuit against us and we do the same. Someone flips us off, we do the same. And the list could go on. And we should know that this is the only way the world really knows how to respond. When, when the restraints of the law of God are, are sort of removed out of a culture or a people that they don't feel any sense of, of, of morality, no, no sense of a higher law that God has imposed. That's why as we read in this text this morning as our our call to worship, the Apostle Paul, reminds us, we were also, we also were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. That's just the natural way of the world and, and the natural way of our lives when uh, before we were believers we were natural haters I, I think probably nowhere you can see this more plainly in, uh, in our day than maybe in the area of political power and politics and there might be some, some times when uh, there might be a little bit of bipartisanship and they, they do something together briefly. Just sort of a momentary ceasefire, but, but it seems most of the time politics is just a dirty game of hate and envy, of revenge, of power. And often in our relationships in the world, they're just easily turned into hate and retaliation, whether it's in the workplace, whether it's at school, whether it's in the community, or just in the home, right, between a husband and a wife. You know, it can be that way. I mean, you could put snow down your wife's back, and she could retaliate. I'm just kidding. Beloved, the, the command of Christ comes to us. And, and 
tells us that, that we can no longer respond this way to evil that might be done to us. Something has changed within us. We, we no longer as believers operate on the basis of, of the old life. We, we have a new life that has given us a new power with new affections, with new hopes, with new loves. We, we are now able not to return evil for evil. We are able to do it in every circumstance. Because one, God has granted to you and I a new nature. One that doesn't operate on the basis of evil deeds. It is truly against our natures as believers rather than according to our natures, if we do evil. Again, before Christ, it was just sort of what we did, like a fish swims in water. It didn't take any effort. I didn't have to really think about it. The most natural thing in the world for me would be to respond that way, evil for evil. But now, as believers in Christ, we're brand new, and in the the Evil within us happens at times, but now it's, it's not natural. It's not easy. It's more like trying to make a cat take a bath. It, it ought to be hard like that in our lives to do evil. We're new. And and one of the other great truths that the Bible sets before us in this, not only that we have the power to respond differently now, as Paul says, seeking that which is after, which is good for one another and for all people, we have the power now to do that. But we also have a sovereign God who has promised to take care of us no matter what. He has he has promised to take revenge on those who would do us harm. Paul speaks of this in several places in the New Testament where he says in Romans chapter 12, verses 17 to 19, he says, never pay back, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If Possible. So far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will, I will repay, says the Lord. Paul says, Leave room. I think. Part of that is we need to leave a lot of room. You need to leave much room because it, it's going to be 
awful what the Lord does in a righteous way. Step back. Paul also says to uh, Timothy, he, he says in 2 Corinthians 4.14, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. That, that should be like, ooh. Paul will go on in 2 Thessalonians, the second letter he writes, and he'll tell them in uh, chapter 1, 2 Thessalonians 1, 6. He says, For after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted. And to us as well, when the Lord will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed. For our testimony to you was believed. Paul also says in Romans 6, 16, Romans 16, 20, assuring the, the believers there in Rome, he says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. God is for you in ways that are stunning. You could say the Bible wants us to know that God has an awful repayment plan against those who would do you harm. Awful. He will give justice to everyone. So that, that all who might seek to do us harm in this present age, the scriptures are telling us, don't worry. Don't worry. God will bring them before his throne. He will call them to justice, and it will be a terrible cost. It will make all of our, our puny efforts that we could do in this life of, of taking revenge to seem like a great kindness. For God is keeping exacting records on these things that are done. Especially to his saints. All oh, you are precious to him. He's not losing sight of anything that has been done to you that was evil. And so as believers, we, we can rest knowing that our God is for us. He won't forsake us when evil is done against us. We're able... We're able to look on our enemies, those who would do us harm in this life. Like, like one who is the son of a king, who, who knows that his father, the king, has at his disposal a vast army that cannot be overcome, and that it is committed to the defense of his own son. 
So we ought not to be concerned about the evil that men may bring our way. When we have a God who has told us. He's placing a target. Really on all who would oppose his people. Really opposing the church of Jesus Christ is is the most foolish thing a man or a government can do in this world. I mean, you think that the Jewish people opposed Jesus and Jerusalem was utterly destroyed in 70 AD. Utterly destroyed. Rome opposed Christ. Christ conquered Rome. The Roman Empire is no more. Men slaughtered the apostles, but the church spread to the nations. Every nation, beloved, is being brought under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Hell itself opposed Jesus, and it was crushed. And so we have that great confidence that our God reigns. He rules. He, he is a just God. He, he will protect his people. He will bring everything in. Everything will be brought to justice. And so out of that, we are free, in a sense, to do good to those who might do evil to us. Paul here is addressing uh, the evil that is done both within the church, between fellow believers, and for all people. He says, seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. You know, it's really often a sad affair, tragic really, when... When professing believers do something against a fellow saint, maybe slander them, or lie about them, or, or steal, or cheat from them, or, or just commit some kind of evil against them, gossip about them. You know, that is, though, the reality of life in the church, this side of heaven. But, oh, how, how unnatural it really is when that happens. How, how strange it is to have the saints do evil against a fellow saint. How strange for one who is blood-bought to despise another who, too, was purchased with the precious blood of Christ. And yet... This is the case, beloved, at times in the visible church. We are, we are tragically at times like the world. But what's the solution when that happens? Well, there is a place at times for church discipline in these things. 
if, if what is done is taken to sort of a widespread impact within the church and there's a, an unrepentantness about it. But the usual mode within the body of Christ for the believer to deal with these things when they come up is to do good to the one who has done us harm. That, that is, maybe a, a fellow believer says or does something toward us that's unkind or thoughtless or rude or deceitful. Ours is to move toward them with great kindness. And, and maybe we, we see this often within our own marriages, right? How often is an unkind word said or thoughtless or rude or... Ours is to move toward them with great kindness. If someone approaches us with passive aggressiveness, we ought to respond with active good. And how can we not? I mean, for we have a Redeemer, beloved, who has loved us in, in all our evil, in all our foolish ways, he has been kind to us when we hated him. He, he has not forgotten us when we forgot him. He's not neglected us when we neglected him. He, he's loved us in spite of our many sins, our great offenses. And so we need to remember we have a Savior who has loved us in that way, and, and how can we not love our fellow believers who, who fail us at times? This is what God is calling us to do. It's his will for us. You know, beloved, he's not calling you or I to make sure that everybody treats us right. He's calling us to treat people well who do not treat us well. That's one of the marks of a genuine believer. You treat people well who don't treat you well. He's calling us to love people who don't love us properly. He's calling us to be kind to fellow saints who, who may not be kind to us. He's calling us to remember, remember others who forget us. He's calling us to, to not look for someone first to treat us well or to expect them to respond in kind to our kindness. Well, I was kind to you. Ought to be to me. Now, Paul's command here to us is we're to do good to those who would treat us poorly. Now, that's the calling of the believer in the Christian life. What a sweet place, though, the church is when there is no place for returning evil for evil. 
What a precious place the church is where, where a love can cover a multitude of sins. What a Christ-honoring place it is, beloved, when, when we don't keep a record of wrongs. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians. Where there's not a ledger of past offenses that we can run down and say, oh yeah, I remember. What a bit of heaven it is when we don't, when we don't wait to be loved first. But rather, but rather we are we are almost as gracious as God has been to us in our dealings with each other. Almost as gracious as God has been to us in our dealings with others. I say, I say almost. Because we'll never attain to his marvelous grace. But oh, we ought to try. We, we ought to try. And... and and how our Father is pleased by such efforts. Paul also calls us to be this way toward all men. Again, it doesn't mean we don't seek justice for things that might be done, maybe through legal means and, and so forth, but it's that we don't retaliate with evil against evil done to us. It may look like the guy who cuts you off on the road, you don't return with your own road rage. Or the person who's rude to you at the checkout line, you're not rude back. Or the person who comes into the office being a jerk, you don't respond in the same way. Now, it may be really that our efforts don't change the person at all. That may be often the case. We won't change maybe the person being evil toward us. But, you know, that's not the point. That's not the point. The, the, the point is obedience. Obedience to Christ. This is what Christ wants you to do. Christ is pleased with that kind of response. We do it for Christ's sake. As Paul gives these commands here in this section, we might sometimes think that our lives after Christ sort of just spring up automatically in obedience, right? And, and, and there's a certain sense in which it's true, there is this, this new nature that we have with new, new affections and new power, new life that's there within us, that, that is there without our help. God has put it there. God has given new life. We're made new. We're new creations. The, the old is gone. The new has come. And there's that power of the new birth. 
This is what gives us the power to do what Paul's calling us to here. But we should know, though, that this, this obedience isn't something that sort of just, just flows out like water running downhill in the Christian life. No, the, the Christian life is more like water needing to flow uphill. It needs to flow uphill. And, and, and the power to move it up comes from the Spirit of God working through the Word in our lives. And so, even though we have been made new, born again, we, we don't sort of grow in holiness automatically. But growth in the Christian life is, is more like tending a garden. It takes effort. Weeds don't take any effort. They just grow. But that's not the Christian life. It takes real effort. And like a garden, it takes the use of Tools and fences, perhaps, and fertilizer. You don't just throw seeds out on the bare ground and think it will grow a garden. Right? And so we ought to understand that in the Christian life, God brings about the obedience that's required of us through means means, meaning he does it through the word. We're, we're, not, we're not born, you could say, in the new birth uh, as geniuses or experts in obedience. But we have the power to obey. And God then comes and brings about our progress in this new life through the means of the word. God accomplishes this work through the commands and the promises of scripture. As his spirit comes and presses those into our hearts and minds. And so as we come to a text like this, we ought to understand at least two things about it. First is, the new birth has given us the full power to obey every command of Scripture. We never have the excuse that, oh, I just can't do that. The new birth has given us the power to obey. And secondly, we need to know, though, that it is through the hearing of the word that God will bring about the obedience to his commands. Through the hearing of the word. So we cannot be faithful to the word and the commands of God apart from the preaching and the teaching of the word and being exposed to it on a regular basis. So then if, if this command of the Apostle Paul is to be a reality in our lives, we, 
We have to have it set before us in the preaching of the word. Paul knew the church in Thessalonica needed to hear this from him if they were to obey it. They needed to hear it. It wasn't as, as though they just sort of got it. Even though they had the power to obey it, it wasn't sort of intuitive to them. They weren't saying as they read this, oh, Paul, we, we know that. You don't need to write that down for us. It wasn't a surprising thing, though, that they were here. For the spirit within them would be affirming this to their own conscience as Paul wrote it. And so, with each of us as believers, we are those who, who need the word preached to us. And, and then the spirit will come and cause those words to find a place in us. We will believe them. We will want to do them. We will move forward in obeying them. So, beloved, Jesus himself is calling you to deal kindly with those who are not kind to you. He is calling you to do good to someone who might do evil to you. It's what it looks like to be a Christian. It may be this is your fellow believer in Christ. It may be your husband or your wife or your brother or your sister. Maybe your coworker. Jesus has poured out his life unto death for us while we were yet sinners. He died for us. We, we have been given in Christ every kindness of God. And so we have available to you and I an infinite resource of goodness, kindness, that, that we then can lavish on those around us because Christ has commanded us to. And we have the power to in his spirit. May God grant that to us. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for hearing things that we need to hear. Lord, I pray you'd work in us uh, conviction, perhaps, where maybe we've uh, failed. Lord, we've, we've said things we shouldn't have said. We've done things we shouldn't have done when someone has been unkind to us, not good, evil even, Lord. And so, Father, I pray you would grant us much grace, uh, especially, Lord, I pray with our fellow believers that, that we would uh, be so willing, Lord, to forgive, so willing to overlook offenses, so quick, Lord, to respond with goodness, Lord, when when we're not treated well. So, Lord, I just pray you would let, let that be a, a rich 
reality here, Lord, in this body. And then, Lord, let it overflow to uh, our circumstances and our situations of life and uh, in every place we might find ourselves, Lord. Uh, Lord, the, the, the old nature uh, still, Lord, wants to strike back at times, say something we should not. But, Lord, let us want to please you, Lord, in each moment. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me invite you to stand as we close, as we sing number 250, and can it be, number 250. Would you please stand?